The Canby Report was produced and recorded on the traditional and unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Quequitlam peoples. September 16th, 2022, and there are but 29 short days until the Vancouver Municipal Elections. This is the Camby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. And I'm Ian Bushfield. So much is happening. Less than a month to go. Yes, we are in it. We are in the, maybe not the home stretch, but we are definitely, the starting gun has gone off on the final <laughs> sprint. And it's amazing because we don't even know everyone who's running yet. The deadline to withdraw your candidacy is today. Vancouver is doing the the lottery draw of Vancouver random thing. ballot order today at 5 p.m. I'm not going to be there this time. I watched it in person in 2018. It was neat for the first time. You can watch it on YouTube if you yeah. really want. So, if you enjoy the Cambie Report and want to continue to support citizen journalism, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash Report. Yes, patreon.com slash Report. Yes, do support us, patreon.com slash Report. We love everyone who has signed up recently and helps us continue to deliver our podcast. Patreon.com slash Report. All right. We have got a hell of a show for you today. Uh, we are coming to you entirely in the Latin alphabet today, unlike many of the candidates. Yeah, this was a story I just saw this morning, uh, happened yesterday. So everyone submitted their paperwork by last week. The chief election officer of the city of Vancouver went through it and decided to sue 15 of the candidates for trying to include non-Latin characters. This was primarily uh, Chinese characters, as well as a few Persian characters from uh, specific candidates. I think one from Vision Vancouver wanted to use Persian characters. Uh, this was a story back in 2018 when Brandon Yan successfully was able to argue that he should be able to include the Chinese characters from his name. Uh, at the time, a number of other candidates were denied because they could not prove that they regularly used a non-English name or a non-Latin name for themselves. Uh, but apparently the floodgates opened this year with 10 candidates from the NPA, including mayoral candidate Fred Harding and Councillor Melissa DiGenova, wanting to use... <laughs> Noted Chinese-Canadian Melissa DiGenova. <laughs> Italy invented the Latin alphabet. <laughs> Joining them in the courtroom were two candidates from Vision Vancouver, including Vision School Board incumbent Alan Wong, uh, as well as candidates from Forward Together, Cope, and One City Vancouver, one each. The judge ultimately delayed the case, as most of the candidates did not have lawyers, and it was just a mess of trying to deal with 15 respondents who didn't fully understand why they had to argue, in many cases, like their legitimate name. Cope scoreboard candidate Susie Ma talked about how she was given a Chinese name, and she does use that regularly. Uh, the arguments... Fred Harding has used a Chinese name because he has been quite active in China. I'm not totally sure Melissa Genova's arguments are as strong, but she en engages mm. in the community, I guess. Uh, according to Google Translate, uh, the name that uh, 
Fred Harding is using uh, translates to Ed Fu. I have no other comments on the matter, although Melissa DiGenova's name uh, translates to Zheng Julian. The chief elections officer of Vancouver argued that Harding was on the ballot in 2018 and did not include Chinese characters on his name then when he could have argued for it. Same, I guess, applies to Alan Wong and Melissa DiGenova. It's a interesting argument happening. Uh, you know, some people are accusing other candidates within here of cultural appropriation by trying to get an unfair advantage at the polls, hopefully appealing to the Chinese speaking community. Although seemingly using that name did not help Brandon Yan get on to council. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I kind of, it's, it's something that many politicians do in, in BC is adopt their, Chinese name. I don't think it's particularly cultural appropriation. Um, I, I think it's just one of the ways that outreach is now done in the province. It does kind of beg for a, a more coherent policy on the ballots, though, because it's mm-hmm. clear that, well, I'm speculating here, of course, but that certain candidates see an electoral advantage in trying to get this name on there. I don't know that it's the most uh, genuine case that every member of the NPA has a deep connection with the Chinese community in the way that Fred Harding clearly does. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, at the same time, it's like, you know, you we're lacking a policy, I think is what the problem is. And so we opened the floodgates in 2018 with Brandon Yan. I think he did make a strong case. Um, what do, where do we go from here? I guess this case will start to test it and we'll have to see what council in the next four years starts to do if anyone remembers to actually think about this. It's it's interesting because, like, what happens when, like, <laughs> I'm going to be interested to see if anyone just starts including one of some random Unicode characters in their name because they <laughs> look fun. But um, the, yeah. the Gen Z gets in there and wants emojis mm-hmm. on their names, Matthew. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of hate for that comment from younger listeners and just anyone <laughs> who thinks I'm being insensitive. Like, I'm... I do take this serious. Like, I do think this is an important question because I think there's value in having this for people who it is, you know, meaningful for them. Um, I just like I, don't I'm know actually how to do it consistently. I'm I'm actually like willing to have it be fairly open. Like, we are a multicultural polity, and if this makes people feel more included and more in touch with their politicians, then yeah, why not? Like I think I yeah like, I think I largely agree. Adopt adopt a consistent uh, you know written Chinese name and stick with it. And uh, if you want you know Arabic script as well, then so so be it. Like maybe there should be a limit as to how many how many languages you can include for yourself on the ballot. But uh, or it's just a character limit. Yeah, you have to you have to prioritize. That's. Admittedly, that is where um, that is where written Chinese is particularly useful. Is that it is economical in its character usage. So we'll keep an eye on where this lawsuit goes and how the many candidates who now have to defend their choice of name uh, manage to cope. And we'll see what the ballot looks like. I guess we'll know next week. So 
In other news, the Women Transforming Cities organization has released its hot pink report card on the candidates for the Vancouver municipal election. This is a slightly graphically confusing uh, document that asks a number of questions uh, important to the Women Transforming Cities organization. Um, They have put together eight policy points that they think are important and have asked all the council candidates from our major collection of major parties and also vision uh, to... (laughs) And the socialists. Yeah, true enough. I mean, are going to knock on the smaller ones. <laughs> um, to uh, outline where they stand. And uh, frankly, I think many of them just lied. But uh, let's let's go through the, the, the policies and, and talk about what they have asked about. So the first one yeah. was an equity lens on councillor motions. This is a pretty simple ask. Will you require there to be an equity assessment framework within the decision council member motions make? And, quote, will you require councillors to consider the impact of motions and policies on equity deserving residents before introducing and voting them? I don't know how you fully enforce that, but at least, you know, it's part of an EDI framework and it's a pretty common kind of thing. Uh, everyone commits to that except the candidates from the NPA. Yeah, Um I mean, this one, I'm surprised that the MPA, like, because this is kind of a fluff motion, um, uh, li- literally all you would have to say is, prior to this being called to a vote, please remind yourselves that you must consider equity. Like, that's all this motion is asking for. Um, Maybe they reject it just on the, like, virtue signaliness of it. Yeah, it is It is a little virtue signaling, I will admit that. Um so, number two is the Indigenous Women and Girls uh, People's Healing Lodge. Uh, so, quote, building on the city's Vancouver's decisions to develop an implementation plan to advance the city's response to the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women at AL, will you commit to prioritizing the creation of a grassroots-led Indigenous Women, Girls, and Queer People's Healing Lodge? They use the long acronym. Um, I'm not going to. Uh, this could identify. Uh, this could include identifying and securing available land, partnerships, and funding for a healing lodge, and empowering Indigenous women and queer people to lead this work. Everyone commits to this. It's a pretty non-committal motion. It just says, "Are you fine with there being an Indigenous People's Healing Lodge?" Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no I, one's I mean, really against it, especially when you don't aren't asked to put up money or yeah, land. Yeah, I, I mean, basically, what this question is asking is, will you allow some developer to include this as part of their community amenity contribution? And saying no to this is basically saying yes. I will identify as being openly anti-indigenous, and yay, no, no one said that. Number three, reducing barriers for affordable housing. This one gets into the specifics of it a little bit and it's it's more the uh women transforming cities vision for affordable housing um it asks will you commit to reducing barriers to providing non-market housing by delegating authority to city staff to approve non-profit co-op and social housing initiatives of up to 12 stories in multifamily areas and that's a note and up to six stories in other residential areas without a rezoning requirement 
I think this largely mirrors a motion brought forward by one city councillor, Christine Boyle, that ultimately failed on a very narrow vote. The idea of allowing nonprofit housing everywhere in the city. Uh, this one was probably the most interesting question. You get all of a better city, Vancouver, including councillors who, who voted, voted against, against the one this, city yeah. motion, uh, saying they are committed to this. All of COPE is committed to this. All of Progress, all of Forward Vancouver is committed to this. All of the NPA, One City, Progress, Socialists, and Vision are committed. Uh, those who are against it, team, this is the only question they're against things. They don't like nonprofit housing, I guess. And three council and three candidates from the Greens, including incumbents Pete Fry and Adrian Carr, and uh, hopeful Stephanie Smith. In the initial version of the document, Michael Weeb had said he declared a conflict and abstained from this, which was the most funny thing ever. But they did update it to say that he is committed to this now. Man has learned a lesson somehow. You can't be in conflict from a survey. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but the man, the man is acting out of an abundance of caution. Like, I, I, you know what? I kind of respect it. So yeah, the Greens are split on this, team is against it, and everyone is for it, even those who were against it. Number four, protecting tenants from heat waves. Uh, it's endorsed by Acorn British Columbia. Will you commit to implementing minimum cooling standards in residential buildings uh, by amending the standards of maintenance bylaw to require cooling systems in addition to heating systems to be kept in safe and good working conditions so as to maintain a maximum temperature of 26 degrees Celsius? Uh, this one... The NPA said, let the poor people burn. Everyone else supports this. Yeah, tw also 26 is really hot. Uh yeah, my AC is set to 24, and that feels good. My AC I could set, set it low to, if I'm... My AC is set to 19. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> to be fair, like, in the house I'm in, the basement's always much cooler, so... Yeah, fair enough. It keeps the basement quite temperate while still not being frozen. But yeah, 26 is a livable, uncomfortable temperature in many ways. But it is something that I know was studied and endorsed by ACORN, among others, and is going to be a continuing issue. So I'm glad to see most are on board with this. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we move forward with some better protections, especially for uh, those in low-income housing. Yeah. Um, number five, alternative models to community safety. The... Um cops are not the answer motion um so basically it's asking for community and peer-led crisis management initiatives non-police mental health interventions and social support programs uh and cleaning programs led by impacted individuals so this is as an alternative to police enforced street sweeps yep. where the cops and city workers come and throw people's stuff out this one again is endorsed by everyone but the npa who are the pro-cop party in this case. Um, washrooms for all. Um, will you commit to ensuring accessible, free, and clean washrooms uh, are available across the city uh, with full funding by the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation Park Washroom Strategy? Uh, I mean, this, this is interesting because I kind of was under the impression that the Park Board's capital plan funded that particular program but uh, as we learned from the mount pleasant pool occasionally the city can just swoop in and say nope 
your electeds are not as good as our electeds. <laughs> it is true. Uh, luckily, everyone running for mayor and city council is pro-washroom. Everyone needs to shit in the park sometimes, and we'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, number seven, the fully funded climate emergency responses. Um, this is basically, will you fund the climate emergency action plan? Uh, and will you implement and fund the recommendations for the planning, extreme heat, and air quality mitigation policy? Uh, Again, here... Everyone pretty much says yes, except the NPA, who I guess don't take climate change seriously or think it's a different level of jurisdiction. Uh, notably, Moral Francis from Progress Vancouver, the NPA turncoat, is against funding the Climate Action Plan. Yeah. So he's the standout on Progress Vancouver here. I mean, I don't... I feel like Kennedy Stewart's saying he's in favor of this is a little disingenuous because he has voted against the mechanisms for actually funding this plan. Um, but he just thinks there'll be a magic land value capture tax that he'll be able to use or something else like that. Ooh. And finally, uh, accessible and affordable transit. Um, building on the success of the city of Vancouver's reduced fare transit pilot in 2021-22, uh, will you advocate to TransLink and the province to work towards free or reduced fare transit for people on low incomes in Metro Vancouver? Um, and if you again, everyone says yes except the NPA Vancouver, who says make the people pay. Yeah, um, like there is. I'm not. I'm not opposed to make. Like I. I'm not opposed to funding some part of the transit system through user fees, um, but. Like I, I think in general the lowering fares is like a good policy across the board, and uh, definitely making sure that people of low incomes can use transit because like that just creates huge systemic barriers to like people actually getting to work and becoming productive members of society if they, uh, you know, if they are like trying to pull themselves out of a situation where they like are unable to work and unable to get to to work and you know it, it becomes uh it, it becomes incredibly difficult if you just don't have the ability to get around the city yeah and encouraging people to use more transit is a key part of climate action the municipal climate response so good to see near universal support here so like overall this is a survey right they sent it to every candidate and got their responses yes or no to each of these i suspect some parties answered en masse. The Greens clearly didn't. Uh, Progress clearly had a standout. Um, yeah. But like like you said off the top, there, and we've kind of picked apart that there are a couple standouts of like, are you really committed to that? Like, is that really what you would do as your party? Or are you just kind of saying, yeah, we would explore, you know, nonprofit housing everywhere? Yeah. And like, the Women Transforming Cities plan for affordable housing is, I, I think only part of the key towards actually achieving affordable housing for everyone like i don't i don't want just low income housing to be um council and and council has clearly demonstrated that it is not um frankly i don't think that affordable housing has been a council priority so um i i do call bullshit on for like the most part abc on this one uh at least 
team had the integrity to be like, nah, I don't want to build houses. So, yeah, this is one of the first organizations we've seen put out a report card. I don't know how many more we'll get. Uh, we won't cover them all, but I thought this one was interesting. We might retweet a couple others if I see them, but mm -hmm. fun times, uh, you know, and full credit to the NPA for their brutal honesty on everything here. Although, again, they say they'll build affordable housing and I'm, Melissa Genova, I'm pretty sure voted against that one city motion. So yep. some asterisks there as well. But hey, they're for the washrooms in the parks. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're for washrooms. They refuse to lobby uh, uh, TransLink for things. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, at least you know where they stand, kind of. In Green Party news, Liam Maynard has been stripped of the Green endorsement for Park Board. Yeah, the headline reads that he uh, committed a privacy breach, and the party is also warning its date, its members and supporters that their personal private contact information has been breached. Uh, they explicitly say, quote, the Green Party Vancouver board has reason to believe that some or all of its list is in the possession of Progress Vancouver, Mark Marison campaign, and we are calling on the Progress campaign to immediately cease all campaign communications until the matter has been investigated and the list has been purged. In other words, they're saying Liam gave the Green Party list of supporters to Progress Vancouver, which is a pretty good reason to kick yeah. him out of the party. He's yep. clearly not on your team now. <laughs> the thing that I find interesting about this is that Progress Vancouver has been very excellent at buying contact information from people. Uh, I don't, I, like, I'm not saying that they bribed Liam Menard uh, on this. I'm saying that, like, they've clearly been going around and doing things like buying magazine subscription lists or uh, magazine subscription lists, like, that's a thing. But, like, contact information from, like, contact brokers. They These are people who compile lists of people in the city. Um, <laughs> I've had people in groups that I am in complain that, like, I'm definitely sure I never gave Mark Marison my contact information, and he has been emailing me every week. <laughs> so, yeah, Menard. Now, it looks like he's still running as an independent. His website is still up. Uh, it says... He was the past president of the False Creek Community Association, uh, and it lists his involvement in the Green Party of British Columbia up until this year. Yep. Uh, Although the, the provincial party and the municipal party are technically different want things, you'll be quick to be told by Green Party supporters. Yeah. And you know what? Fair enough. Uh, the Just as the Liberal Party of Canada and the Liberal Party of, of BC are different beasts, uh, I, I tend to think of the Provincial Green Party as a combination of uh, Tories with bikes and uh, anti-vaxxers. But, uh, but I think the other thing to come back to is that, like, if this is true, if it, and these are strong allegations made in strong words on the Green Party website, yeah, uh, Liam Menard broke the true. law, right? He broke the Privacy yeah. Act and... I'm not clear if that can disqualify him from election because he didn't give out the voter list. Um, no, probably not. Um, but like there, there are other th things that might happen to him. Yeah. So in other candidate news, MPA candidate Morning Lee, who previously ran with Wei Young in the last election, has a YouTube video about how to evict tenants. Yeah. So this came from a Substack by uh, Found in Translation and went around Twitter pretty quickly. Um, it's a blog that tries to really undermine the Communist Party of China from what I read. Uh, and this writer has gone through Morning Lee's 
YouTube video and his channel Morning Lee Morning Morning Lee Money Me, which is a investing consulting advice channel for property buyers and realtors in Metro Van with videos like this house is assessed at 1.99 million, but we sold it at 2.6 million in one single day, or how to get 100% rebate from the realtor when you sell your home industry secrets leaked. And can a poor person alter his destiny? I you mean, Fine. I, I'm there's, not, uh, there's lots of videos out a, there. Yeah, I'm not opposed to getting 100% rebates from realtors, whatever, I don't care, realtors are doing fine. Um, but the weird one is uh, his video about how to evict tenants during the pandemic, uh, tenants who are, of course, maliciously taking advantage of the province's anti-eviction uh, ban. Yeah, this is a video published in November 2021, and it talks about how he... Uh, needed to evict some tenants from a house he was trying to sell uh, because they didn't want to leave because they had the right to stay there as you do because they were paying and the house can be sold, but you have to keep that tenancy. And Mm -hmm. he had trouble because the BC government had put in an eviction ban in the start of the pandemic, but that expired in September 2020. So then he rolled out his multi-point six-step eviction plan which involved hand-delivering eviction notice, sending 24-hour house viewing notices, bringing prospective buyers to the house, sending a second 24-hour viewing notice, viewing the tenanted house again, etc. And finally, they moved out in 2020, and they were able to get the new owners in. What's really notable here is one of the steps talks about bringing a bailiff or police officer to the rental property to, quote, frighten the tenants. Uh, That's shady. Yeah, but I think the most weird thing in here is the steps he suggests to declare sovereignty, quote, (laughs) over the house. Do you want to read it? Yeah, okay. Uh, It's it's really weird. Um, So basically, he suggests that... Um, to declare sovereignty, to declare to the tenants, so not to like any legal body, that this house is mine, not yours, and I have the right. The realtor must go to the washroom to take a leak or to take a shit, so that the tenants, uh, so as to tell the tenants that I do have the right. This is, I guess, psychological warfare on his part, but uh, I, I, like, what? It's very weird. Yeah, this is... It's not based in any law, I can tell you that. And I don't... And it's not illegal? (laughs) You can use a bathroom? It's weird. It's not disqualifying for election, I think. But in terms of, you know, is this the kind of person you want on council? Uh, I'll leave that up to you, dear listeners. Mm Mm-hmm. We will... We will see. Clearly, the NBA is showing its true colors in this election, at least this particular iteration of the NPA. Uh, I, honestly, I, I hope that the NPA like, gets its act together after they get a new board. Uh, this is crazy. This is like weird shit in someone else's toilet. Well, if the... At least Vancouver voters will have a choice. Indeed. Which is more than I can say for those folks out in Pitmotos, Port Coquitlam, and Burnaby. Yeah, so a- apparently Burnaby uh, apparently Burnaby returned to democracy uh, last election, kicking out its longtime mayor, Derek Corrigan, uh, and 
uh, thought, yeah, that's enough for us, and so has decided to claim its mayor again. So across the province, there are 37 municipalities that are not facing an election for the mayor this year. That's up from 36. That's up from 36 in 2018. So I don't have the historical trend to see if we are seeing more acclamations now versus in the past. But that's a lot of people who don't have a choice to make at the mayor's level, at least. There are races in many of those councils, although I know occasionally some councils are acclaimed, but none in the metro region, as far as I know. So Pitt Meadows is kind of interesting. I think the previous mayor was Brad Dingwall, something like that. Dingwall. Uh, he stepped down and the new mayor is a former count or is a current councillor who is just now acclaimed with the outgoing mayor's endorsement. Port Coquitlam is a little bit interesting because Brad West is there. He is popular in many ways, but has also started to create his critics. But it seems like none wanted to step up to challenge him. But Burnaby is a sizable city. Once you start getting a couple hundred thousand people and you can't find one crank who says, I could do it better. I'm actually impressed. Yeah, that's um, that's some strong like public relations management, if nothing yeah, else. Yeah, I talked to the Burnaby Beacon about this a little bit more, and we'll show a we'll put a link to the show note. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, and you can take a look at my comments there. But like you said, it's a it's not a great sign for democracy when you can't at least have an election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> The NPA has released a comprehensive public safety plan, uh, posting it on their Facebook page and their website. Um, their uh, their plan states that your safety is our priority. Uh, if you will recall from our interview last week with Mario Canseco, uh, public safety is not a huge priority for people in this election, uh, but the NPA seems to think that it is, so... Um, Basically, what do they want to do? More cops. Just kind of like this is a 20 point or this is a 19 point plan that kind of comes around in a bunch of different ways to say the status quo isn't working. There's too much focus on harm reduction and not enough on what do they call it? Enforcement of civil behavior in the most Orwellian (laughs) way possible. Uh, They talk in a couple points about the idea that it's not compassionate to think that harm reduction and unacceptable SRO housing by themselves are helping those in need, which no one says and like that. No one's happy with SROs. True. No. And like harm reduction is not a standalone thing. It's part of the four pillar strategy. Like it's well, that's what they kind of not- emphasize in here. Uh, the, you know, foundational MPA policy, harm reduction, prevention, treatment, and enforcement of civil behavior, which I think is a slight reframing of that latter one. Yeah, um, like they have some of these consult with communities uh, thing, which is like whenever people say consult with communities, I think community veto, uh, NIMBYism empowered. Uh, they want to reinstate the school liaison program, which not their call. ABC also wants um, to do that. Well, both of them are running school board candidates. School board. So that's where they yeah, would do true. it. So this is kind of a combined policy. Uh, the one I found super fascinating definitely reeks of Fred Harding being a former, uh, being a Brit and a former cop is that he would quote, support strategic initiatives that overwhelm criminals legally and financially, and in brackets, Mr. Big and Sting operations. In particular, using tactics established in case law through R.V. Christo and Wright, which is a UK case. 
I've never seen case law huh. specifically, like criminal case law, specifically cited as a headline platform policy. Yeah, that's a first for me as well. Um, I, I mean, it's... I wouldn't put it past the conservatives to rail against Jordan in the next election, but uh, that's the law of the land now. So, um, you know, they have some other, uh, I don't, I don't even know what some of these mean. Like point 16, ensure frontline police officers are not tied to unreasonable wait times for hospital. I think this is that if the police drop someone off at the hospital, they have to remain there until they're treated. So the fact that hospitals are backed up, is tying up our cops. So I'm not clear how you do that. Do you just let someone who is in police custody go into the hospital, like dump them on the hospital sidewalk? Like the city can't really do anything to fix the hospital system unless they're proposing that, which it doesn't sound like they are. No, and certainly no one else is proposing any way to do that as Adrian Dix gave a speech at UDCM recently where he was like, yeah, there's a healthcare crisis. What am I going to do about it? Cricket, cricket, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, NBA uh, has that out. One city has a mental health plan. Yeah. What do they it's say? It's kind of nice to counterbalance the two. One city is kind of the anti-cop party, effectively, rather than bring more cops in. They want, uh, their headline is PACTS, Peer Assisted Care Teams. They call it an evidence-based approach to broaden emergency response to allow trained mental health workers to respond to acute mental health and a substance use crises with a low risk of violence. So in other words, you call 911 because someone is having a mental health crisis or some other kind of crisis, and you don't send a cop, you send a mental health and you know overdose team to support them and make this the default for many of these situations. This would allow... Uh, focus on de-escalating crises, uh, and they would have the ability to call in police if things escalated. They cite, yeah, yeah, and like they, you know, there is a role for police in some of these situations. It's just that they shouldn't be the first and only line of response. Yeah, uh, tied into one city's plan is also around safety and responding to mental health crises, a need for social housing in healthy neighborhoods. So not tying, this is part of their housing plan is allowing all kinds of housing everywhere. So that would be quite valuable. They say they will prioritize social housing and create housing within the Broadway medical precinct to help slow income people with chronic health problems near medical clinics and facilities. Makes sense. Uh, And they also commit to ending homelessness. The uh, vision promise from many elections that never quite succeeded. Yeah, and I mean that that is going to be a uh I don't think we're ever going to end homelessness without substantial monetary commitments from the federal and provincial. Yeah, one city talks about temporary like, modular housing and I think that definitely plays a big role in helping. But like until people can live in the community, like until there is a way for people to live in the communities where they have been displaced or have become homeless, like where where there's effectively like government supported housing through Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation in every community across this country, um, you know, people are going to end up drifting to areas where like these housing of last resort options exist and then getting displaced from those and ending up on the street um that's why 
you have like the crisis on Hastings Street. It's because like there is this draw uh, because of this like housing ladder that we have. And at least one city is committed to building much of that housing, though how much can be accomplished remains to be seen. Also talking about housing, though, is forward Vancouver, the mayor. He has a five-point housing plan. Matthew, you must be so impressed. Yeah. um, They want to approve. Yeah, it's like... So we talked about housing on the last episode, right? And we had detailed plans from one city in progress that were, you know, documents. They were like 15, 20-page documents with lots of finer points about where the problems are. Here we have something that fits on a page and is like, permits are difficult to get. We'll fix it. I Like, I am... So disappointed, to be honest. I I think this is an embarrassing thing for the mayor's party to be putting out. Like, this is supposed to be Kennedy Stewart's strength is policy. Like, his weakness is getting the policy through, is, like, leading council. Uh, Theoretically, he's supposed to be able to, like, actually articulate what needs to be done. This is half a loaf. Let's go through it. They want to approve 220,000 new homes over the next 10 years. Um, They frame that as a tripling of the current housing targets, which, fine, that's ambitious. Yes, more homes. He doesn't tell us a single thing about how, though. There's just a target for 140,000 market, below market, rental, social housing, and co-ops, which is nice when you blend all those together. It doesn't tell me a lot about where you think the mix should be, other than just... Um, yeah, I don't know. 40,000 ground-oriented homes for purchase by the middle class. Um, Maybe duplexes? What? What's a gr- Otherwise, it sounds like yeah, a single-family ground- home. I mean, it sounds like a hobbit hole, to be honest. <laughs> and 40,000 market condos or townhomes. Yeah, and, like, great, I guess. But... Um, how you're going to achieve that without like actually addressing the systemic problems involved in development in the city is uh, an issue. Like you don't have a plan here. Number two, extend re- renter protections across the city, including vacancy control to so new rental. So he is. They have upped their rhetoric game. The vac the renter protections in Broadway are now quote the toughest renter protections in Canada. Fine, whatever. We're not even sure mm. if they're in the metro, but sure. uh, they're like they're not bad. <laughs> I don't think they are. I think I think Burnaby has better rent protections uh, but than they do. They will expand the Broadway protections across the city, uh, and also argue for vacancy controls. So this will be a nice appeal to renters to vote for them. Uh, it's consistent with what they've promised in the past. So yeah, I sure. I guess. I mean, a lot of it is. Please, Providence, please. Speaking Uh, of, they will modernize public hearing and permitting to be more efficient by, quote, continue the active and ongoing cooperation with the province of BC to make regulatory changes to the Vancouver Charter. In other words, please fix it for us because we don't know how to use Robert's rules and policies. Yeah, the Vancouver Charter isn't the problem here. Like, it's it's the massive regulatory, like, system... Like, the Vancouver Charter isn't that much different from the Community Charter. Uh, I, I don't see why they feel that the province has to And then to the other half is to continue to build on the success of the Internal Development Application and Permitting Modernization Task Force led by the city manager. And they cite that as being able to reduce permitting times for low-complexity renos to as little as two weeks. 
but it really seems like tinkering. Like, I'm sure it's doing some good things, but it's not rising to the scale of the crisis. Yeah. No, it's rearranging. Like, where is the commitment to pass a zoning law that implements the Vancouver plan on day one? That's a bold promise you could have done. And that starts to get you towards the housing Mm -hmm. goals. And then their last promise isn't a promise. It's maintain the empty homes tax at 5% minimum. That's, That's just saying... We promised to do what we did. What well, the they won't repeal it. Uh, we also skipped over their fourth promise to create a. Sp- it's your plan <laughs> to create a specialized project approval team for large impact projects. So this is a little bit vague, but it's I don't know hire staff to make the Broadway plan and other plans go smoother in the way that I guess the River District team did. I guess um, it's like. I worry about this adding just like yet one more level of bureaucracy to an already bureaucratically clogged process. Um, I'm skeptical, to say the least. But Forward was in the news for another reason this week as it came out on Twitter via uh, homeless reporter Stanley Q. Woodvine that there's a list of donors fundraising thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, for a then unnamed party, but it's pretty much been agreed by everyone that this was a Forward Vancouver fundraising sheet where the captains include the Aquilinis and other developers and former NDP president Craig Keating and many other prominent names with goals for how much they should raise. Francis Beulah talked to all of these donors and said that, yes, Forward had approached them to raise this much. They hadn't necessarily committed to doing it, uh, but you know. This is, I guess, really just like a meat, you know, how the sausage is made story. It's, yeah, you know, that's exactly we have donation limits of $1,200. And so if you're someone with a tendency to donate $100,000 and you can't do that now, the party is simply going to go to you now and say, all right, find a way to get us 50000 Yeah. And, you know, people have networks and those networks are going to be used for fundraising. I, I don't see a way around this, uh, like short of publicly funding all politics. And I don't think we're going there. Uh, so I, honestly, the only I place where this could go this is just into, you know, the sketchy or illegal area, and there's no clear allegation that's happened here, is if it was shown that any of these people with a big target was taking their money and paying other people to donate. Yeah, that that is illegal. And uh, they should not do that. And uh, yeah, uh, don't break the law. Speaking of donors, don't we do have the donor lists from ABC and Cope. Cope actually shared them both via an email, trying to pit itself as the you know main competitor to ABC, which was weird. Uh, Cope claims <laughs> to have raised about a hundred thousand dollars in this year. They didn't share their donor lists for past years, like some other parties have done. ABC's list, for example, goes back to twenty twenty. And includes names like Chip Wilson, many of the Beaties, and many others. Uh, the most prominent name I enjoyed finding in there was Bill Thielman, gave $450 to them last year and $200 this year. He just throws money to everyone, it seems like. Yeah. Wasn't he left wing at one point? Isn't that like the theory behind Bill Thielman? I don't know. But apparently, Kelly Hardwick thinks that she's center left, so who knows? Uh, I didn't see any prominent names on the Cope donor list. They emphasized in their fundraising email that a lot of their donors are small donors, which isn't surprising, although some of their electeds have donated significant amounts. 
which, you know, I've talked about on Politicoast in the past mm -hmm. is an encouraging sign if you're, uh, if the people who are making a salary because they got elected under your banner can support you. If they don't, it's bad. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think I'm just going through, I, I believe that the largest single donor to COPE uh, is Gene Swanson. Uh, I might be wrong there, but... Yeah, uh, there were a couple who I think, like only a handful who maxed out their donations to the council and school board, which put them at like 2,500-ish. Yeah. Um, yeah, Anita Romania rather, but, was at 2,193, yeah, but, uh, Ann Roberts at 2,000. Barb Parrott, who's an elected 1800. Carol Gerda, 2440. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't really see what Cope is getting at here. Uh, they are not ABC's main competition. You are not drawing. They're trying the to fundraise. That's all it was. You got to uh, try something. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Got to get those vote socialist <laughs> and dollars. Finally, or not finally. Uh, and speaking of the race, we don't we have another poll. It's but it's a bit more of an approval poll. What's nice about this? Uh, this one comes to us via Leger. Is it looks at Vancouver, Burnaby, Coquitlam, and Surrey separately. Uh, it's more. Do you approve of the mayors and do you approve of council in each of these cases? Uh, Burnaby and Coquitlam very happy. Vancouver and Surrey not so much. Yeah, that that does. The thing that I wonder really, is who are the 27% of people who are happy with Vancouver City Council? Who are the 2% of people who are very happy, who are, are strongly in approval of Vancouver City Council? Who Who is looking at what is going on right now? I don't even thinking, think anyone on council yes, is happy with council. I this think is they're what the, I want. That's the 5% strongly disapproving. <laughs> Actually, sorry, 30% yeah. of Vancouver strongly disapproves of how council is doing. I, which is interesting to note that, like, in uh, even as bad as City of Vancouver has gotten, Surrey is even worse because 37% strongly, like, think that uh, the city has gotten worse, like that, and 60% uh, somewhat think that. Uh, it is like a really stunning indictment of of how uh, bad Surrey City Council has. Like, yeah, on mayoral approval, Kennedy Stewart gets a twenty nine percent approval. Doug McCallum gets twenty seven percent. By contrast, Richard Stewart here in Coquitlam gets sixty nine percent, and Mike Hurley gets sixty two percent, which kind of tells you in part why Hurley is not opposed. Um, but again, still. Mm -hmm. That's thirty-eight percent who aren't super excited about him, and a lot, and a lot of the support for Hurley is very soft. It's that somewhat approve. So you know, yeah, I, I don't know. It's no one, no one strongly opposes him. Well, and the to comment like I had to Burnaby Beacon is it feels like he's change. really negotiated a true independent role where he doesn't have political adversaries. Like he's not pissing anyone off who would. Mount launch a challenge. He managed to stave off even the one Burnaby Mike Hillman campaign to say, I'll work with you if you're on council. Let's just go that way. And he just wants to sit that middle lane wherever the middle lane is. And maybe that works. But again, no one's there aren't any cranks in Burnaby, apparently. Um the 
other interesting thing is a, a kind of reprise of the issue profile uh, that we talked about last week. Uh, it strongly mirrors what we saw from the Research Co. poll, uh, where housing affordability is the number one issue facing your municipality today. Um, it's the number one issue for 30% of people, uh, number two for 13%, and number three for 11%. Um, there is a 43% uh, of people who have homelessness, poverty, and mental health issues among their top three issues. Um, now, this poll did not specifically uh, ask a question about the overdose or drug, uh, you know, tainted drug supply, but I, I kind of wonder if that's where people are um, lumping that in terms of uh, their you know, assessment, because we did see a significant amount of people uh, identifying that as their number one issue in the Research Co. poll. Um, slightly more people identifying policing, public safety, and crime than in Research Co., uh, 10% of people thinking that that's mm -hmm. their number one issue. And finally, I wanted to flag a editorial in the Georgia Strait by one city Vancouver school board candidate Rory Brown talking about school board issues. We haven't really touched on the school board much in the past four years. Uh, and Brown, in his editorial, gives a number of reasons why he thinks there needs to be a change at school board as the, quote, Green Party NPA coalition is mismanaging enrollment in ways that harms children and fa families. Uh, it's obviously a partisan piece meant to push his election. So the Green Party is going to take exception to his allegations here. But I think one of the he kind of frames two major focuses. The first is transparency. And there's been a lot of challenges at the school board where the public are getting shut out of decision-making in many ways. And this isn't a, they need to have the same level of public hearings as a council, because obviously not. But Oh, fuck no. There's been, a, I've seen a lot of yeah, indeed. No one needs that. I've much seen a lot of Twitter engagement. frustration That's by not... people who are very engaged in school board, concerned about the ability to keep up with what's happening there on the one hand. And the other half of it is on like an ongoing long term issue, which is really a debate between the school board and the province over long term planning. It's the school board refuses to really figure out where it's going to need to have new schools and possibly close schools in undersubscribed areas. And their accusation is that the province isn't funding them, so they don't know how many schools they'll be able to build. And the province says, well, you haven't done a plan, so we're not going to give you a bunch of schools that you don't, you can't show us that you need. And stuck in the middle of that is parents and families, particularly in growing neighborhoods, who whose schools are either crumbling or need to be built. Yeah, I mean... I I see kind of the point. I actually tend to think that the Green Party NPA coalition, as he calls it, has done a about as good a job as I expect from a school board. Uh, I like I think that they've they've done a relatively good job of of working together, which is more than I can say for city council. Um, I, I think it's one city that has actually been a, a little more. Um, reticent to engage in a a you know constructive discussion with the other members of the school board, um, 
and, and maybe that's a uh, no. I like it's one side of an issue. Like this is this is one perspective on the the plan and what's been happening on school board. And I think that um, you know, for all that has gone on with with uh, the NPA, the school board is like one of the few places where they've actually been quite effective. Although they did. Um, they were the strong officials. voices for keeping the school liaison program. Yeah, and mercifully that that you know got voted down. So, um, but like you know, having talked to some people on school board, um, there were like that was a more nuanced discussion than than I I think we kind of gave it credit for. Um, you know, there are like statistics that associate uh, like lower lower incidences of reported abuse in places that don't have the school liaison program. Like there, there were reasons to consider keeping it. Um, unfortunately it kind of came down to becoming a culture war issue. Uh, and I think that's too bad. Um, one I, thing always I'll say on nuance. school board issues is outside of Vancouver and thankfully Vancouver doesn't have this challenge. We have seen, there is a slate that's launched province-wide called parent voice bc they're running in my district you can already tell what they're doing right oh uh, no 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 and there's no, a no, version no, of it a... in victoria yeah, that that's bad. called viva <laughs> victoria running for school board uh parents voice says it's not officially like a christian nationalist group and is not organizing in evangelical churches <laughs> they just oh man they just, that's a matthew that's they just a, want accountability that's a and transparency bad denial and to have to make. Just do things like mandatory publishing of lesson plans online which is not how schools work because my many lesson no. plans i know from teachers don't get written until the day of uh they yeah, say the their hell? candidates weren't asked about soji issues but they represent they have people with a diversity of views on it uh but i am skeptical anyway don't vote That's don't vote bad. parent voice <laughs> Uh, that, yeah, I, no, I don't want a diversity of views on social issues. I, I want the good one. I want people who are in favor of making Safe. gay yeah, and trans and kids welcome. feel welcome in school. <sighs> boy, I'll do oh some boy. more digging into uh, that for a future episode, but there's already been a little bit of coverage. Yeah. This election is shaping up to be very interesting. In good and bad ways. Like, uh, <laughs> in good and bad ways. Um, so let's take a little break. Let's let's end this episode with a fun fact from Vancouver's history, uh, as we uh, often do. They're not all fun facts. This one is, however, it is the history of Little Mountain Sound Studios. So Little Mountain Sound Studios is a music recording facility from Vancouver. Uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was basically the most successful recording studio in Western Canada, and um, that is in many, uh, many ways thanks to the producers Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock, which uh, nominative determinism, uh, <laughs> if it's a thing, what a great name. Uh, so they recorded... Albums by Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, ACDC, Metallica, Brian Adams, Motley Crue, David Lee Roth, Loverboy, and The Cult. Uh, like, this is this is like some top-notch rock. Yeah, 
Olivia Newton-John's remix Don't Cry For Me Argentina was recorded there in 1977. Van Halen was there in 1995. And the infamous three-chime ding-ding-ding, which I did wrong, from the British Columbia Rapid Transit Company, now TransLink, that you hear when you get whenever the SkyTrain stops, was recorded there in 84-85. Yeah, um, so basically they have... Uh, oh, they also, in in a darker chapter of their history, uh, also recorded an album from Nickelback. <laughs> the studio relocated to Burnaby after it was closed in Vancouver at the end of 1993, and it continued there for a while. But it moved back to Vancouver in 2008 and has continued to be in business since 1972. So one of the reasons, you know, that I've read that... Uh, this place was so successful. It's just the acoustics of the place were quite cool. You could put the drums out in the loading bay and it would give this kind of cool um, echo reaver. I'm not a sound engineer. Please don't quote me on this uh, effect that uh, you can hear on many of the albums that they recorded during the glory days of this studio's history. Um, you know, other famous people who have recorded there include Kitty Lang, um, and uh, Van Halen. So I am, you know, just happy to bring the, this little uh, little bit of Vancouver music history. Uh, it is a part of our heritage. Uh, also, I wanted to bring a correction to last week's Vancouverada. A past host of the show told me we were wrong, very wrong in that Lake City Way was always planned as part of the opening. And they wanted to rush the development of the Millennium Line. So they left it as a largely loose, useless station to finish the Millennium Line a little bit faster and then added Lake City Way after. I maintain that we were technically correct in that we described it as an, op- an infill station, which is a station opened after the line opens. But we could have been yeah, I- more correct, I guess. Yeah, um, it's still, like, the least used station on the entire line, though, right? Like, it's... (laughs) Burnaby needs to do some Vancouverism with its SkyTrain stations, in my personal opinion. Uh, The area around Lake City Way is a massive industrial park. um, Some of those people take SkyTrain. (laughs) But, yeah. You know, that's true. But, like... You build a SkyTrain station, build the housing and, like, commercial space associated with it, and maybe densify some of that in industry, I guess. Like, there are ways to densify industry. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> um, a area for improvement. Um, Open some sound studios there. Make it cool. Yeah. Build up Dagorad Brewing. More breweries. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us today. This is shaping up to be a very fascinating election. I am just happy that you're on this journey with us. Uh, There are 29 days left until the Vancouver Municipal Elections. For Leg and Boot Media, I'm Matthew Naylor. And I'm Ian Bushfield. Good day. Good day.